Instead of being an inclusive fellowship that accepts the depravity that is not even named among the Gentiles, the Corinthians should have been mourning. This Greek word for mourning here speaks about mourning over the death of a loved one. They should have been in a state of mourning over their brother's fallen condition. They should have separated themselves from this brother. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. And open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We have to remember that the letter of 1 Corinthians is a letter of correction that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He had received information from uh, some members of the fellowship, had written him to tell him what was going on at the church. And we learned in chapter one of divisions that had begun to take place within the church of Corinth. They had been dividing over apostles, evangelists, preachers, and teachers instead of uniting under Christ. Many were actually walking in compromised paths of men in an attempt to reach God through their own wisdom, their own understanding. And yet the word tells us it was through the foolishness and wisdom of God that Jesus Christ became for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption from God in order that believers should not be able to glory in themselves, but that we would glory in the Lord. I believe that the church in Corinth, that they had come into this place where they were having a lot of glory in their own flesh. And Paul wanted to correct that. We also learned that in chapter 2, he spoke about the mystery of the gospel, which is Christ Jesus and him crucified, that It did not come to the apostles, the preachers, the prophets, the teachers by the spirit of this world, but through the spirit of God. And so he talked about the importance of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he would mention to the church in Corinth that their giftings were rather great. They were a blessed church by God, but they had misused the gifts of God. In chapter 3, we saw that many of the Corinthians had stayed too long in the milk of God's word. They had actually retarded their growth and the effectiveness of their church. They remained baby Christians when they should have been maturing in their faith. And that message from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that I titled Milk or Meat 
It was not saying that milk was bad and meat was good. It was simply saying that each have their place and their benefit. If you're a young believer in Jesus Christ, you need the milk of God's word. But as we grow and mature, we need to get into the meatier portions of God's word. They had actually retarded their growth. In chapter 4, Paul took a moment to remind them of his great love for them. I think this is just wisdom of the Holy Spirit, wisdom of Paul playing in here, knowing that, you know what, I have some hard things. I've already said some hard things to you. I have harder things that we're going to deal with. So let me take a moment here to just tell you that I really love you guys. I'm about ready to whip on you pretty bad here, but I want you to know, as a parent might say to the child, you know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And the child is thinking, yeah, right. But Paul told them of his great love that he had for them as his beloved children of God. And he even wrote of their imitating me. He said, imitate me. Later on in the same book, he would say, imitate me. First Corinthians 11, 1, as I imitate Christ. But he also wrote of sending Timothy, saying that he will remind you of my ways. He'll remind you of my path. Now in chapter 5, he begins to whip on them a little more. And he deals with a sinning brother and the effects of condoning his sin within the church. Let's go ahead and stand together as I read our first point, the charge. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2. Then we'll open in a word of prayer. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Father, we pray that you would be with us, Lord, as we go through this portion of Scripture, because, Lord, although this particular sin that's being addressed in this passage of this case of sexual immorality of a man taking his father's wife, Lord, I realize uh, that this is not a sin that's found within this fellowship. But we do know, Lord, that the church has compromised and the church at large, Lord, has condoned a number of things that should not be considered within the fellowship of Jesus Christ. So I pray, Father, that you would speak with us today. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. This church, this day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and sit down. I have to tell you that when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm Probably for me, not a favorite passage to have to teach. He's really getting after this church and their condoning of this sin that was within their fellowship. And as I was looking at this word this week, reading up on it, even looking in weeks ahead, knowing that I'm coming to this passage of Scripture, and there'll be some other hard places in 1 Corinthians as well. There was a point on Thursday where I just determined, I don't care what the world thinks, let's see what the Word says. I just want to know what the Word of God says. So there are some in the world that may disagree with 
of this passage. I think the particular sin that he mentions, not even being mentioned among the Gentiles, that this was pretty extreme situation taking place within the church there. But I see in our nation today, in the church of Jesus Christ, that there are some pretty extreme views taking place within the church that sadly are no longer being dealt with. The church itself is willing to compromise on some issues that the word of God has commanded and already made judgment against. And so we need to hear what the scripture, what the spirit is saying to the church today, not basing our opinion or the world's opinion upon scripture, but as believers wanting and being willing to follow the very word of God. So the report that came to Paul he, he said, I can't believe this, that there's actually reported. I can't believe I'm hearing this or reading it would have been the letter that came to him, that there is sexual immorality. Pornea is the Greek word here. It's a, actually a Greek word that basically means any unlawful sexual activity. And the Bible teaches that the marriage is honorable, that the marriage bed is undefiled, thus Marriage is the lawful place for sexual activity. As it says in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. The city of Corinth was a unique city in its location. It was actually uh, surrounded by water, uh, lower beneath it, it was on this peninsula that uh, it had water to the west, water to the east, water to the south of them. And for the ships of that day and age, it was actually dangerous to travel beneath. They discovered that it was actually quicker to take their ships to roll them on logs across this peninsula from one sea to the other sea. But while a ship is being rolled across, it's kind of like the Panama Canal. While the ship is going through all the docks and stuff, well, the sailors had time. And so the city of Corinth became this city where people of various cultures and backgrounds had gathered together. They were there where this, every two years, they had the Ismanian games that were played there, much like the Olympics. And there was great wealth, these games being played, the pleasures of these games that brought to the city itself. And as the sailors waited for their ships to go from one sea to the other, to go across this area, they would spend their money on the pleasures. You read about the history of this, that they don't know if this is quite true or not, but the report of the sailors saying that they had a thousand temple prostitutes there as they worshipped one of their deities. So you can imagine the lifestyle that was there for the Corinthians and those who had come out of this lifestyle. Now we find that it had actually bled into the church with a man specifically naming the uh, sexual immorality here, a man having sexual relations with his stepmother. He said, even the unbelieving Gentiles, they drew a line at this one. This is something that even the Gentiles would not do. Well, he said in verse two, you are puffed up and have not rather mourned 
that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So here's the thing. Scripture had already dictated about this issue for a man taking his father's wife, not a man taking his mother, but you have to assume that the father's wife meant that this father had been remarried, and whether the father was living or not, that in Leviticus 20.11, it tells us, the man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them, both the man and the woman, shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Scripture had already dictated about this issue, and yet the church in Corinth, they were actually puffed up with pride, saying that, you know, we're such an open church, condoning church, that we accept even this. It's no big deal. The scripture is silent as to whether the father was still alive or not, but it really doesn't matter in the sense that this couple's sexual immorality was clearly prohibited in the word of God. Paul had written in chapter 4, verse 6, saying, Learn in us and think not beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. He said, learn in us and think nothing beyond what is written. God had already given judgment on this particular sin, and yet the church has condoned the sin itself. Instead of being an inclusive fellowship that accepts the depravity that is not even named among the Gentiles, the Corinthians should have been mourning this Greek word for mourning here speaks about mourning over the death of a loved one. They should have been in a state of mourning over their brother's fallen condition. They should have separated themselves from this brother. Second Corinthians six seventeen, Paul would write, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. We must not condone what God's word condemns. And this is uh, the summary of our first point here in verses one and two, the charge. In the day and age that we live in, we find that there are many within the church today condoning what God's word has condemned. And we must not condone these things it may not be the same type of sexual immorality, but there are many things that the church today, they're compromising on what has been written in the word of God. We're not to think beyond what has been written. We're not to lay aside the word of God to pick up the desires of man. So the judgment, verses 3 through 5, I'll read the context for us. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present concerning him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul writes to them, he says, I don't even need to be present to hear the arguments of why you guys are condoning or accepting this brother within your fellowship, knowing what he has done, because the word of God has already told us and judged on this situation. 
And so, though I'm not with you physically, I am present in the spirit. And I do give judgment that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave them uh, instruction on how they should deal with this situation. First, he said they were to conduct themselves as representatives of Jesus Christ. And this should always be the method of our conduct. In Colossians 3.17, it tells us, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, this should always be our conduct. Whatever we do in word or deed, we are to conduct ourselves in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God. Secondly, they were to deal with the situation publicly and in unity with Paul. Now, they were to deal with this situation publicly, I believe, because it was already a public situation. Paul had already received word about what was taking place within the fellowship and how the fellowship was puffed up about this situation, perhaps saying, look, look at how accepting we are of even someone who's sleeping with his father's wife. Come on, brother, we love you anyways. And we find that in the church today, we find churches like that. And I'm not saying that we are not to, and Paul will even deal with this, for people who come from the world that are living away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truths of God, and the church is to be accepting to them. But it doesn't mean that you take someone who is clearly living against the word of God, clearly in sin, and say, you know what? I think you would be a great worship leader. Or how about teaching Sunday school? Your life is so messed up. Why don't you mess up our children as well? No, you receive those who are lost in their way, but you receive them in hopes that they will come to the truth of the word of God. So Jesus told us when dealing with a, a sinning brother or sister in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, he actually gave us a three-step process for resolving conflicts. And first, we're to go to that person alone. And if the person will hear us, it's great. But if they will not hear us, we're to take one or two more with and finally, to bring it to the church. They're at the bring it to your, the church level. But here's what Jesus taught us in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, Tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So they were to deal with the situation publicly and in unity with Paul. But thirdly, they were to act in the power of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus reminded us, we love this passage. Where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. We love this passage as a small church because sometimes there's only two or more here. So we like to say, well, there's only a couple of us here, but Jesus is with us. I just want to ruin your theology here for a moment on this and realize that 
Where Jesus said, where two or more are gathered together in my name, it is true that he is dealing with conflict resolution and not with low church attendance. He's actually saying that you might have an issue with a brother or sister. I'll be with you in that when you're dealing with it. But we kind of forget about the context of where that verse came from. We disconnect it from the passage itself. And just remember, don't always disconnect these things. We need to remember. But it's good that Jesus tells us that he will be working with us. He will be helping us to gain our brother or sister when trying to resolve conflict. Now, in verse five, in the flesh versus the spirit, he said, I've already made judgment to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Since the woman is not mentioned anywhere in this text, it, we have to assume that she was not a believer in Jesus Christ. The church has no authority over unbelievers. And she is not named at all. He's constantly dealing with the man. Remember, when we went back to uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 11, the judgment of the Old Testament, both he and she were to be put to death. That was God's standard or judgment for the Old Testament in the nation of Israel. But the woman's not mentioned at all. He's only dealing with the man. So we just put that in our memory banks there that he's not dealing with the non-believer in this relationship. He's dealing with the one who is named Christ. And by delivering him to Satan refers to his being put out or excommunicated from the church. Yet even this is with the purpose of saving his spirit. Paul uses this same method of delivering one to Satan, actually two, Hymenius and Alexander in 1 Timothy 1 verses 19 through 20, he said they had suffered shipwreck. He actually wrote, having faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. He delivered them to Satan that they might learn, that they might come to a place of repentance and restoration. And if we truly want to resolve conflict, we must be willing to put aside our own pride and seek forgiveness at times. Sometimes forgiving an, another who has wounded us is all we can do. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that they'll receive your forgiveness. James said in James 5:20, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save the soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. To turn a sinner from the error of his ways should be the desire for all of us. A lost sheep is saved from destruction when we do this. And his sins, if they are many, his sins are covered. And that covering of sin is the blood of Jesus Christ, as it tells us in 1 John 1, 7. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. So as we forgive those who have hurt us, our forgiveness can lead to repentance. Repentance can lead to restoration where we gain back a brother or sister in Christ. But may we never forget 
that there was power in the name of Jesus. Paul said, do this in the name of Jesus as representatives of Christ. Father, I pray that you would be with us, Lord. Help us to be able to stand upon your truths. In the day and age that we live in, Lord, there are many churches who are wanting to be inclusive churches, and they even name themselves by that name. And they take a moral high road as if, Lord, they are including those which the church rejects. And Lord, we understand as believers in Jesus Christ that we receive those who come from the world, as Paul said in this text, that those who are from the outside, those who are unbelievers, Lord, we love on them. How else will they know the love of Christ if we don't love on them and show them the right way? But Lord, I also believe that we have to stand in your truth, that we stand upon the firm foundation of your word and we speak truth in love that, Lord, just as we have, others might be able to walk away from their old lives and their fallen creature and come to a new life, a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. We'll be right back. 